Well, good morning, everybody, from the great state of Oklahoma. Hopefully, we move into being a sanctuary status where we recognize the Constitution and the Bill of Rights without having people inside the Beltway telling us what to do. What is the most important thing for them is not necessarily the most important thing for me out where I live or where you live. That's the unfortunate thing that's happening today. But one thing I do want to discuss today is federal lands and fracking. And then we're going to kind of segue into customer service, which is kind of the same thing for some reason. But back to the uh, federal lands map. Uh, when the president came out and said, we're shutting down all fracking completions, drilling, whatnot on federal lands, that is basically all states west of Texas, west of Oklahoma, Nebraska, Kansas, I got those out of order, South Dakota, North Dakota. So all these federal lands, when the U.S. was gobbling up uh, as much land as it could, it was, it was a great thing because, well, at the time it sounded good. Uh, Theodore Roosevelt had initiated the first, first parks system, which was great. It needed to be set up to protect certain lands. But then as soon as uh, things started to expand uh, even more greatly, the federal government uh, realized that, hey, we can have more control of this as we uh, go forward. Most of these states had already been states except for Arizona and uh, New Mexico. But when uh, there's a signature and you have a president who's just signing things away, in kind of a knee-jerk reaction, what happens if you pick a state like New Mexico, which is heavily Democratic, their, a majority of their tax base comes from the Delaware Basin, which is tied into West Texas's Delaware Basin. And there has been numerous wells that have been drilled in Eddie, Lee, Chavez, Roosevelt, and uh, I can't think of the other one off the top of my head, uh, counties there in southeastern New Mexico. Thousands, tens of thousands of wells, and that's established production. There's multiple basins across uh, New Mexico. It's a great state to visit, a great state uh, for geology at the surface, a lot of unique things that happen, but a lot of unique things that happen at the, in the subsurface too. And in order for these states to maintain their tax base that do have lots of federal lands, is they need to have drilling and completions in some kind of systematic approach. And they need those dollars coming in to support whatever they have uh, for their, their their needed tax base. There are federal lands out east in Arkansas, and there's some federal lands in Texas and Oklahoma and Indiana, Michigan, and Vermont, and it's it, it's just peppered. It's not like it is out west. If I could show you this map, most of Nevada, Utah, uh, I'd say half of Arizona, half of California, more, most of Oregon, uh, three-quarters of Idaho, half of Montana, Wyoming, is just riddled with federal lands. And the best place to view this is on uh, the USGS. They have a couple of really cool interactive mapping softwares where you can just get online and you can turn on and off uh, whatever you want to view. It's very similar to uh, Google Earth. It gives one the opportunity to view and see and do and uh, map out what they want to uh, 
view. You can turn on rivers. You can turn on certain deposits. You can turn on ore deposits. You can turn on cities. You can turn on roads. You can turn off this. You can turn on that. It's it's really cool. The thing is, you just can't save it to your computer. It's just interactive on the uh, server database there at the USGS headquarters. So <clears throat> when these states don't have their money and you have uh, political conundrums uh, developing where, yes, you have certain people thumping their chests once again saying this is great when in reality it isn't because it would be like in northwest indiana coming in and saying all right federal lands are under uh, u.s steel and the bp refinery and everything above it we need to shut out well what happens to that tax base what happens to all those workers they go home and don't have another job it, it isn't just one thing leads to another well, it does in government where you think you can just turn things off and turn things on. It doesn't work that way in the real world. If you're a welder or, oh, gee, um, a technician, uh, somebody who does science, somebody who does engineering, those jobs uh, aren't just available, uh, especially when a, the, the world's gone through a pandemic and things are a lot tighter uh, now than what they normally had been. With this 1.9 trillion COVID relief, I love how they use the umbrella of COVID. Only a certain part of this um, relief is actually going to COVID. It's going 86 billion is going to managing busted union programs um, that have fallen apart. Their pension programs have fallen apart, and uh, you know those union jobs are still needed in their own way. Uh, I'm 100% vested in the laborers union. When I went to uh, college, I was able to get a job uh, working road construction uh, to help facilitate and generate some extra money to pay for schooling. Uh, yeah, it was hard work. Uh, I had to pay my dues, financial dues, and it was like, man, I get $400 a week or whatever, which was great back in the middle 90s to uh, support school. But then if you'd get in a certain portion of that, pulled out for uh, dues or for the business associate to run around. Uh, the thing is, is unions really aren't needed too much anymore. And the uh, premises for the union had started back in the early 1900s. Once again, uh, kind of at the turn of the century when industry was really taking off. Uh, U.S. Steel had merged and built and... Uh, it had become the world's largest uh, corporation at the time. I think in 1901, it was like a billion dollars. But they didn't. There was no government oversight. There was no OSHA. There was no 40-hour uh, work week, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and that led to uh, multiple problems between people. People unionizing to get those protective uh, hours that they needed. Uh, better working conditions. It was horrible conditions, hot conditions. You know, remember there was no personal protection. There was no hard hats. There was no uh, way to protect yourself from the blast furnace uh, sparks and things of that. Yeah, they had worn like leather aprons and things, but it just it, it didn't work. And then when they unionized, they were able to get the things that they wanted. And uh, under J.P. Morgan, uh, it kind of it, it blossomed into a uh, huge industry. And as this industry grew, so did the United States, and so did the uh, approach, because steel was now the backbone 
of the United States. Uh, oil was in it, not necessarily in its infancy, it was there. Uh, Henry Ford had started to design the, uh, the first couple of cars. That hadn't taken off just yet until about 1911, 1912. Uh, when that happened, uh, the refined gasoline from refineries uh, was basically poured in rivers. And you didn't have the EPA. Uh, at that time, uh, things, uh, byproducts were wasted. There was just no, it was unfortunate that they had to do those things, but there's no way to get rid of the, the, the process of uh, generating kerosene and having the byproduct as gasoline. And that was just dumped in the rivers. And as that was dumped in the rivers, yeah, uh, certain things happened, super funds happened. But then again, the issue then comes to is what limitations they've kind of taken, they as in the federal government have taken the limitations uh, to what you or me as I mentioned before, building that refinery or putting in that steel plant or uh, putting in that road, whatever it might be, we have to do all these environmental studies to make sure that there's going to be no damage. We've gone, we sw the pendulum has swung the other way. The funny thing is, is if I wanted to drill a well in Oklahoma, I got to have all my permits, everything all lined out. I have to do a certain environmental study to make sure that there's going to be no runoff. If there is a runoff, which there isn't going to be a runoff. So there's all this precautionary stuff that's been built in because of what happened over 100 years ago. There's more control. It's good to a point, but the thing is, if the government need to go out and do it, oh, well, we'll just go flathead here and put in this turnpike, and uh, there's no issues, there's no qualms. And if you're a citizen, well, you just got to accept it. And that's what's going on in today's world is you just sit down and you be quiet and you don't do anything. And you're just supposed to sit there and take it because now the all-powerful federal government is there to save you from whatever you need your saving to be done. And that, that's the unfortunate uh, end of the pendulum. Uh, there's no happy medium. There's no longer discussions. I've gotten in some heated discussions with some of my former colleagues or associates uh, that I graduated school with regarding uh, climate change. It, you know, they, they no longer want to hear anything else but what they feel. Uh, there's no more discussion. You can't ask questions. And I love it when people come out and say, just follow the science, follow the science. Well, yeah, I'm following the science, but science is also, you can also question. Yeah, Newton and gravity, and you don't really question that anymore. But the hands-on things or hands-off things regarding climate change, anthropogenic climate change, as they now call it. And now Greta, I can't even believe I'm even bringing her up, she has wielded more power than some politicians. How in the world is that possible? A person who doesn't even have a high school degree, a college education, is going around telling me what I need to be doing as she flies around in her jet or her boat or whatever she's doing, but somehow is the face of this environmental movement. It's a movement, all right, but unfortunately, it does not fit with what I'm trying to accomplish in my life either, and I'm not destroying the environment. We're all stewards of the environment one way or another. But there's also fascism in its environmentalism where it's intolerable and you cannot question anything. And that's the underlying point of being a scientist is still questioning. Always have that question card in your hip pocket, uh, whether you're trying to explain or understand how things fit and fall for your own 
well-being, whether it's your finances. You People ask questions about finances, uh, where things are going. Unfortunately, the times when I grew up in the 80s and 90s and even in the 2000s, it's become more of a heavy-handed approach uh, coming down from the universities into uh, the federal government. And it's not supposed to be that way. Um, being able to print money, sign $2 trillion, I don't know why they just didn't make it a $40 trillion bailout or even $100 trillion. I mean, what's the point? At this point, it, it doesn't mean anything. Uh, the money is valueless. Uh, that Federal Reserve note is worth nothing more than uh, the piece of paper that's printed on. Uh, I don't know if we're going to get into hyperinflation, but that's why people are leaving the uh, the dollar and going to other forms of currencies like Bitcoin and flooding the markets and buying uh, gold and silver and platinum and things that you know things that have value. Um, Bitcoin to me still doesn't have any value. You, how do you exchange it for services and how do you uh, manage that? It's, uh, it's a cryptocurrency and you can't really get your hands on it. There's nothing to touch. It's just thin air and it's all mined in the machines and needs large amounts of electricity. But if I had a pile of paper going into the grocery store, kind of like Germany did back in the Weimar Republic, where you ate, um, I forget what a loaf of bread costs, like it's like 100 million marks, it's something ridiculous. Then you need a wheelbarrow to m move all that money. And then uh, what happened? Well, then we know the outcome of uh, World War One was triggered by that and led into World War Two and the Great Depression and everything else across the globe. But when government really tries to meddle with things, the ingenuity is still left up to the individual. Unfortunately, that is really, has really been, uh, there's been downward pressure on the individual. The entrepreneurism that the United States has had over these years is still there, but it's limited to certain sectors. Um, yeah, if you're a computer guy, you can sit in your garage and do something. You can't really be a chemist in your garage and come up with the new uh, element that didn't exist. Most of that's already, all that's pretty much been done uh, over the last hundred years. And people did that in their shops long ago. And that's why we're currently and still the best country in, a, in the world. Uh, the, the United States itself still has that capability. It's just the federal government has to stay out of the way. Unfortunately, they can't. They, they, uh, like I've mentioned before, when they run off to D.C., they go back to their constituents and look at the bill that I passed, look at this that I passed. You know, that's that's all fine and dandy, but in reality, it's uh, just more bureaucracy on top of one. I think the Oklahoma Constitution is like 220-some pages. It's just, it's ridiculous. And the... Um, limitation of that is you keep adding to it and it just keeps turning into something bigger it's just a monster that keeps rolling and propagating and encompassing and pulling them more more and more and more and that's why uh, what i find so uh, sad is people who know how to do things aren't running for government it's just it's an unfortunate thing it's just like teaching your your best 
people are not getting into teaching. One is because of the salary, and two, they're having to be the parent uh, to the the pupil too at the same time as being the teacher. And with COVID and everything else is going on and this virtual deal, it's very taxing on the system. And unfortunately, the shared work of educating uh, the, the student has fallen more on the parent than on the teacher. And that's kind of just been over the last couple of, well, I would say decade or so, maybe a little bit longer. And I had student taught too, and it was it was fun, it was rewarding when the lights went off, but there's always that little punk student that thought he or she knew more. And you're like, are you kidding me? And that's the same approach of a great cartoon back in the, uh, it was written, it showed uh, the parents coming up to the, the teacher and the, the uh, child had gotten an F on a report or something like that. And the, the teacher and the parents are looking down at the student and it was like, the year caption was like 1960s, 70s, 80s, 90s. It's like, okay, it's your responsibility. Now, the student has an F on that same report. And the parents come in, and a student comes in pointing the finger at the teacher as if it's the teacher's fault. Something fundamentally has changed. And that's the unfortunate thing, is the responsibility of getting and being a good steward has kind of really fallen off. Uh, yeah, people do still do good things. It's no longer oh recognized in the media. Um, you know, when I was a child, the big thing, you know, Tom Brokaw, murder this, this person, that is it. It's just that was the news. It was unfortunate and terrible and all that. And but that was what you're being told you know the the system is trying to make you think that if they can pursue you to persuade you to do something by giving you a snippet of something that's wrong well then that's what you're being fed and that's what you're being being led to believe uh just like all the covid cases are now dropping across the united states yeah vaccines are up covid go anywhere yeah, it's still there, but the mask mandates are still in place. There are some states that are reeling in turmoil because of what they did, and as part of this $1.9 trillion bailout, might as well just call it the 100 trillion, the 100T, bail out all the uh, blue states that don't know how to run their uh, systems, and then, well, let's go, go to the federal government and the, 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 the red states that do know how to run things that don't seem to be in major issues, that haven't had issues, that, you know, every state had its own unique circumstance, and you, it's, that's the, the same thing regarding government, is if you're a certain look or a certain this, you fit in this certain form, this is what you are, trying to put you in a can. It's just like that body mass index. Oh, yes, if you're over 27, well, you're X, and if you're over 29 on the body mass index, well, you're morbidly obese. Well, it doesn't take into account fit people. Fit people happen to have a high BMI index because they do work out. They have more muscle to fat ratio, and therefore they're categorized as having a higher body mass index. Is that bad? Well, according to this chart, it is. But that's how things uh, 
run. And that's how they're trying to categorize people is if you fit in a certain chart, fit in a certain thing, everybody's this, then that's the way you're supposed to just take it from the government and this is what you're this is what you get. And that hundred trillion dollar bailout is the same thing. I am not gonna see any of that money. Never will I ever see a dollar from this bailout. States will, people who are unemployed will, people then not 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 that it's bad, but the unemployed are in a very tough pickle themselves because they do want to find a job. There's nothing more rewarding than having a job. Uh, if you lost your job, I, I apologize and I'm sorry. I hope you didn't get on antidepressants. I know people have, but there's nothing more rewarding than having a job and that antidepressant drug is not needed anymore. There's nothing more satisfactory than coming from home from a hard day's work, whatever that might be. And I'm not talking and see, that's the how we've become so distorted in 2021. A hard day's work is not swinging a pickaxe on a chain gang and busting rock. A hard day's work is accomplishing things, putting in the time and energy to solve issues. We are creative thinkers. We're creative doers. The thing is, is federal government is slowly starting to put the foot down on creativity. They don't want it. They want groupthink. This whole thing of herd mentality, sorry, I don't fit. I fit more in the 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s than I do in 2020. And that's a shame because I'm trying to contribute to my society, my fellow man today, not 100 years ago. But with the way people think and the way they do things, the movers and shakers got a lot more done then than they can now because everybody seems to be in this service sector just waiting for things to happen when in reality, I know these people can go out and create things. They just can't because there's too much of a upfront bureaucratic hurdle that they can't get through because one, they don't have the money or the know-how or the rules and the laws are changing as they're doing it themselves. All right, let's kind of get back on track. I know I went off on the, uh, the service side before we had discussed fracking and I kind of broke off and my plan to discuss federal lands and fracking and get into customer service was kind of like what we all do in our own way. We're all kind of our own service salesperson, however we want to do it, no matter what industry you're in, you're in some kind of sales in your own way and it's not taught in school, it's learned on the job. But if we go back to fracking, uh, we can say bad things about it, especially the ignorant. The ignorant people that are out there, they listen to a snippet on the media, whether that's CNN, Fox News, or whatever, and all of a sudden they become the world-renowned scientist on completions of a well. And that's the unfortunate thing where industry has really done a poor, poor job itself <clears throat> and explaining what is really going on. When the first wells were brought on, oh, and oh, once again, over 100 years ago, they were brought on with a giant spectacular splash. Yes, there was supercharged reservoirs that were dealing with that depth, and uh, as they drilled them, they some wells, once they pierced that upper part of the formation, it just came into the well bore, blew out the well, and then you had a geyser, a gusher, whatever you want to call it. It was great to see, and the well blue black gold everywhere on the prairie and oh wow this is great well uh those times one they knew they were wasting money but they didn't know how to control the well 
and two, there was a giant cleanup. But the one thing that I'm going to thump my chest on is oil is organic. Uh, it does break down naturally. Uh, yeah, it can create a uh, oil slick and it looks bad. And it, oh, the, the Exxon Valdez was terrible. Uh, it was. I remember uh, when that had happened, I was like, oh, I still like Exxon. And I was maybe 10 or 11 at the time. But I go, this is just bad for the for the image of Alaska. It's bad for the image of the ocean. It's bad for the image for Exxon. And everybody pointed their fingers at Hazelwood. Uh, yeah, it was his fault. He was in charge of the, sh the ship, but that was a single-hold ship before they went to double. Uh, the issue of the cleanup and where Dawn and Dove and all these soap, they always seem to show the the duck or the uh, the goose covered in oil and then miraculously there's an after picture and then the soap has cleaned the duck and everything is great and thanks to to dove we can clean up the earth's problems generated by man and uh the bad people in oil and gas are uh not doing anything about it well that soap is a uh, oil byproduct and uh is a surfactant just like water is used to clean things it's a solvent soap is a solvent in its own way it's a surfactant to lift fatty acids and hydrocarbons are broken apart and it's really easy and it's it's it takes time yet it looks bad uh it harms the environment but just like when a maconda well blew in and the rig had the Transocean, and people lost their lives on that uh, issue. Uh, the oil, these big plumes that people were driving around, all the environmentalists were driving around in their boats trying to find these giant plumes. Well, the ocean itself gobbled up that oil. The microbes were eating the hydrocarbon. Uh, that's the bad thing is everybody thinks that, oh, this is, this is terrible. It's, yeah, it is bad. It doesn't need to happen. There needs to be a control in managing these wells, and people do do that. Wells aren't brought in like they did over 100 years ago. And completions are managed just like they are today, unlike they were of yesteryear. Fracking has been around for decades. The term has been coined only until recently, within the last 15 years. But that is pressure maintenance. Fracking without a K. You can call it with a K, however you might, because it sounds like we're going to put it in there. However, you know, we can get into the mnemonics of what needs to be said. People had used, operators had used, individuals had used nitroglycerin to bring in the wells. What do you think that did down hole? They dropped the nitro. I sure in the heck wouldn't want that job. Drive a truck with gallons and gallons of nitroglycerin, put it in a, a sleeve, drop the sleeve down hole or wheel it down and then drop a squib as I write the light the uh, the fuse to drop the squib on top of the uh, the nitro down hole and then blow in the well yeah that fractures everything um, back in the boy was it the 70s I have to look this up maybe the 60s uh, there was a couple of wells that were drilled by the Department of Defense and they were bringing in gas wells and they're using an atomic bomb to use to fracture the rock. Uh, it was called Gas Buggy 1 and Gas Buggy 2. Well, 
it brought in the wells. The wells came on strong for a certain amount of time. Unfortunately, the residual radiation from the bomb made the gas useless. So in reality, it was a stupid, stupid project, but it had to be done in order to understand, one, fracturing mechanisms within solid rock, but two, understand how the Earth's behavior uh, move forward from all the P waves and F waves, which is your primary wave and your shear waves. And, you know, there's a lot more tied into this than just uh, dropping an atomic bomb. It was uh, research and it did need to happen. The thing is, it just rendered the well useless. And uh, I think that was in New Mexico, Southwest Utah, somewhere in there. But uh, look that up, gas buggy, I'll have to look that up too. It just uh, came to mind. But uh, fracturing techniques have been around and then people are literally, literally saying that they're fracturing into my drinking water. Well, the reservoir that people are completing into is not a giant pool. And it's another misconception of the media is that wherever I go in Texas, I'm going to hit this pool of oil. Pool of oil. It's, uh, no, that's, that's another translation from the land where you pooled people together to create a unit or a block or a track, whatever it was. So that way you'd have a drilling unit because under railroad commission laws of Texas, you have to have 40 acres to drill on. Uh, there's certain field rules where you can take uh, your acreage spacing down to 20 and it happened down in tens, just all depends on the hearing and the need necessary in the geology down below. But in today's world where we manage uh, completions, we use pressurized pumps called gorilla pumps. There's just basically a big triplex pump on a semi. And usually there's 10 to 20 or 30 of these trucks all lined up. And you have blenders and all these other cool, unique trucks. You got all the, uh, all the computer trucks that are managing all the pressures and the work trucks. And then the amount of diesel that's used to control all these trucks is shipped in and maintained. And all these pressures are managed over a certain amount of time and length. And what's being put away is basically water, clean water, which is the, the, the uh, industry now is going back and trying to understand and how to use produced water, clean it up so that way they can reuse that water again without having to use water from uh, the local uh, reservoir aquifer. That way it's more in situ. Uh, companies are going to using electric uh, pumps, but getting electricity out at location, sometimes it just doesn't work. But if you're next to the three phase, it's a possibility, as long as that co-op or the company knows that you're gonna be using a heck of a lot of amperage to be using uh, electric pumps to treat the, uh, the well. But when people say that they're fracking into my aquifer, the aquifer is usually 50 to 100 foot, maybe no more than 200 foot down from the surface of wherever their home is or their trailer or their residence is at. The area in which we are completing is thousands of feet down through lots of rock. And if there is an issue, it's because the operator had poor cement behind pipe. The pipe was not, uh, did not seal off the aquifer. But in Texas and Oklahoma, there is a mandate that you have to know where the water table's at, and that must be cemented off uh, before any drilling is commenced. So uh, 
any of these previous wells that have been drilled, and there's thousands of them in Indiana, by Muncie, Indiana, that have not been plugged. Uh, this was done back in the 1890s, and that's a whole other story about Ball Corporation moving out of Buffalo, New York, into Muncie, Indiana. Uh, but the problem is, is if these well bores are not sealed off, they can leak into other zones. And that's just par for the course. If you punch a hole in a paper bag in your, or in a plastic bag and you're expecting that air to stay in there, well, it's not going to stay in there because you hadn't sealed it off. But if you can somehow pierce that plastic bag with a pencil and seal it off at the same time, that air can stay in there. So the uniqueness of completions boils back to basically three key, key ingredients. 100 mesh sand, which is very, very fine, like a powder, water, and a uh, agent. It's not a bad agent. It's, not a, it's a chemical agent. It makes the water more slick. There is a friction in water. Sometimes when you have high total dissolved solids water, you can actually feel the water. It feels kind of rough and has like it has a friction factor to it. The uh, ability, you know, Michigan water is different from Wyoming water is different from Oklahoma is different from Utah water and even Florida. Uh, it goes through different rock layers and then you picks up total dissolved solids or whatever might be there. And if it's present, whatever might be in that water, there's a whole bunch of constituents that do break up. In, in, and make up that water, uh, you want the water as slick as possible. You don't want to have additional surface pressures increase because you happen to have a hard water that's requiring uh, more horsepower, hydraulic horsepower to pump. So all you do on these blenders is you have your perfed interval downhole, thousands of feet down in your lateral and your vertical section, wherever it is, being pumped into the perfed interval, into the formation, through cement, and into the formation. It's controlled. That injection rate is managed at the surface. The pressures are managed at the surface. And the operator is trying to maintain control and put as much money as it costs into that specific formation, target formation, where the reservoir is at, so that way the produced stream, whether it's gas, oil, condensate, whatever might be, comes back supercharged into that lowered uh, path of least resistance, which is the wellbore. And as the pump at the surface either pulls back on that wellbore, the fractures that were created by the, the process of fracking at the surface and putting a away water to carry the sand for that pressure to create a fracture, a fracture gradient. There's a fracture gradient map and there's an instantaneous shut-in map and everything else that all goes into and all these numbers mean something. Stresses, poor pressures, which is a formation of the rock. <coughs> the pressure, poor pressure, now in a way, is like swimming to the bottom of a pool. You feel that pressure on your ears. Well, that increased pressure still increases. It's almost like a PSI per foot. So if you're 10,000 foot down in the ground, you're going to have roughly 10,000 PSI to overcome in that rock formation. But that's variable and it's not going to be uh, a can like everything it, government tries to do is here is one scenario that fits for everything. And that's where a lot of operators back in the 
late 90s and early 2000s really busted their pick was they thought one basin was the same. The same approach could be handled in the Barnett in Fort Worth Basin as it could be in the Woodford in the Anadarko, as it could be in the Wolf Camp in the Delaware or the Austin Chalk Eagleford in along the Gulf Coast. Every one of those are different, and they need to be handled differently, and that's what the operators have done over the years. They've been able to streamline all that information and gather from rock and core and petrophysics and tie it all together to make a really good sound story near Wellborn. Extrapolating far field is left up to seismic, and that's to step away from the wellbore, unless you have multiple cores where you can step across and tie all these tops and facies together. It takes a lot of work. It's fun. It's challenging. Uh, it's rewarding and it's unto its own, but it still boils back to completions. And after this well has been completed, the operator hopes that and has done the front end studying of trying to get as much oh, hydrocarbon out of that system as possible. Because all this costs money and they are not interested in wasting money where they've lost control of the, uh, the completions or went out of zone or whatever it might be. That is not of the interest of the operator. And when it's all said and done, the only thing that's left is a chick sand, a wellhead, or a wellhead, a pump jack, or something that's managing the surface pressures so that way that product can get to market. So that way, when you turn on your lights, it's there, or you go to the gas pump, it's there, or your product that you're needing is there. So it's all tied into a bigger system. And for the heavy hand of government to come in to swipe and write off all the federal lands. It's the only thing that they can manage, and that includes offshore, uh, out in the Gulf of Mexico. All this is all tied in, and it's unfortunate that there can't be more of a discussion. Unfortunately, it boils back to politics, and politics seems to be the be-all, end-all answer to everything. And the one thing that we seem to be that's left after this 2020 is nothing more than a spaceship parked in orbit watching over us. I mean, it's it's unbelievable that we've gone through 2020 on all spectrums. I know people are tired of it. People want to work. People want to get busy. People want to do things. People want to get back to traveling. And the only way to pay for this debt, whatever our national debt is now, $25 trillion, I don't think a politician could even tell you how big a trillion is. They're not scientists some are doctors most are lawyers most are people that just uh got in there they're governors or they're uh, some kind of representative and that's all they've ever done they've never had to work in the private sector and that is the separation between the federal government and the private sector the private sector generates while the federal government tries to mandate certain specific rules on the private sector and it's not going to work. They've tried and tried and tried. The private sector is just too nimble. Uh, I've seen government at work, it's slow, and it, go, it boils back to customer service. That's kind of the way I look at government. Is you call them, there's nobody there. I've called my local state representative a handful of times, asking some questions, 
uh, trying to get out uh, some answers that I might that I'm looking for. Have I heard anything back? No, and I probably never will. Then that's the problem. He, this person is elected official, and they think they are above and beyond the common, hardworking individual that is above average. That includes you, me, whoever else out there. They are in their own little bubble, and that's the problem. Uh, that bubble needs to be popped, and when it is popped, they're supposed to come back to some kind of reality. Unfortunately, they become a lobbyist, or they get on some kind of board and some big corporate uh, deal, and they think they know everything, and that is the unfortunate deal. And yeah, I'm sitting here pontificating from a microphone in central Oklahoma with a bunch of maps on my computer and windows and trying to direct a conversation, and I feel like I'm talking to myself. But the reality of the fact is... People that are grounded, they're out there, I know you're out there, will come out ahead than the people that are just in the media, the politicians that are in the media trying to drive an agenda, a narrative, whether it's canceling Dr. Seuss or moving this or it's too racist for that or this is that. It's, it's becoming such a loud white noise coming from these extreme groups that what used to be... Uh, squashed or put away or ignored is now oh brought up onto a pedestal where most people don't even care the masked singer all that other garbage that's on tv i don't even know who pays it for that who watches that to begin with i have never had a conversation with any of my constituents or associates said man did you see that masked singer last night no, nobody gives a rat about that. The thing is, is everybody needs to pay attention to politics. You can only take so much of it. And there, there's two bins at which there's things that you can control. And it's your outcome in your direction where you're going. And then there's things that you can't control is the entities that are trying to control you. You have to be aware. You have to be a Boy Scout and a Girl Scout. And you have to know what's going on. Yes, going to sporting events, going to the amusement parks is great. It's a way to break away from the monotony of what's going on. And doing things with family and friends, it's the most wonderful time that you can, can have. But please, please be aware of what's going on in these bills that the governments are trying to pass, whether it's state, local, or federal. Uh, that makes you more of a... Uh, it has you have a wider knowledge base of what's going on and then what that does it makes you more informed of what people are doing and the more you are informed of what's going on the better educated you are the more well-read you are the better chance you have in making a decision that will allow you to move forward uh, if everybody's mining for gold do you want to be there mining for gold? Yeah, mining for gold is great, but I also want to be making that pick for people to go out and mine. That's kind of the approach. How do you get ahead of that curve? And knowing when to sell your stocks, if the government ever does another shutdown, which it never will happen because if everybody does that, Whatever happens in the New York Stock Exchange will have a great, great depression because everybody will now have learned to pull their money out and not listen to the government 
And then the New York Stock Exchange will be left with no dollars left in it because everybody will have pulled out all their paper money into some computer display. And then they're going to try and reinvest it when things are low. And unfortunately, a certain group of senators, a certain group of representatives had did that right before the collapse. And I purchased thinking that the economy was going to be roaring at that time to combat certain things. I was wrong. Uh, there are certain things that didn't happen. There was clues that were going to kick off mobilization, whatever that is. It just, it happened, but it happened on a minuscule level. I thought it was going to happen on a, a greater level. And in doing so, I invested in the, the, the right companies, but at the wrong time. And uh, it's a learning lesson for me. But if the government ever comes out and says, hey, we're going to do another shutdown, uh, something in 2023, we have a very bad, uh, another virus, whatever it might be, I can guarantee you people will pull all their money out to save up whatever they can because it's, it, 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 people have learned, people are smart, and people will do what's best for themselves. Well, with that, I hope you're enjoying these podcasts. This one is probably the longest one so far. It's about eight minutes, four, well, eight minutes over my uh, long one. Be safe. Uh, we will continue this again next week. And I already have some additional work that I'd like to discuss with you all. Uh, I would be great to get some feedback. Please uh, text, call, or I wish there was a way on this RSS website to post questions or comments. That way I can address these things. But right now, all I can do is just post this uh, podcast. It might be interesting to you. It may not be interesting to you. But uh, next uh, episode, probably talk a little bit more about steel manufacturing, EPA, and the transition of uh, generating product here in the United States to overseas and how that transfer has created a drop of CO2 emissions uh, here in the United States, but has kicked it up elsewhere globally because we still need our stuffs, whatever that might be. All right, everybody, take care, be safe, and talk to you on the flip side.